Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, thanks for tuning in. It's great to be back. This is the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, with them, Mark Kerry and Michael Cox of the Athletic. Uh, Very high energy at the moment, particularly Michael Cox, because you love the business end of the football season and we are right in amongst it. In particular, something you've written about this week, you love Champions League semi-finals, very particularly maybe more than finals themselves. Yeah, I think they're often better games and I think they're often more of an occasion in a way. I know that sounds mad because the final is the ultimate thing, but I love home and away matches. I love two-legged matches. I think sometimes finals are a little bit negative and a little bit cautious and I always have reservations about, you know, the ticket allocations. The atmosphere is never great at a final. Um, But yes, I think if you go through the best moments in Champions League history, I reckon more are from semi-finals than finals. Albeit there is twice as many of them well uh, arguably four, four times, times as many, as many which uh, <laughs> which is included in the article i should say but uh yeah I, I think semi-finals is often produces the best moments and that's what we have of course this week two champions league semi-finals manchester city uh, against real madrid and liverpool against Villarreal. if you didn't listen to, to last week's episode we did our best to cover the manchester city and liverpool rivalry both as it is this season over the last few years and, and where it ranks in well football's top rivalry so do give that a listen after today's episode uh, mark you are you are the 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 lecturer today you this is this is your baby we're going to be Digging into the general question, can you measure the value of a goal? Uh, I'd like to understand where this piece came from uh, and, and what you were trying to achieve. Yeah, this was an idea that uh, myself and uh, one of our one of my colleagues, Jacob Whitehead, sort of discussed. We we obviously will we'll come on to the idea of clutch and the clutchness of a of a player, but we're sort of talking about different sports and how they can kind of measure the the contribution of a player at certain moments in the game. And we kind of we kicked the can down the road a little bit because we didn't know how best to go about it. But what we've come up with is is our sort of current best uh, attempt at it to to look at yeah the value of a goal and try and distinguish between a a goal that's scored when you're three nil up and you go and add the gloss with the a four nil um, scoreline versus the one that maybe you know takes the lead in the final minute. That's right. So this is is not on a team level. How much is a goal worth in terms of points or perhaps in terms of you can go one further. Sometimes I've seen people try and work out how much money a goal is worth for a team by crunching the numbers of what it means for them in terms of league table and and the prize money of the league table, etc. This is more on an individual player level. As you say, the players whose goals are contributing more to their teams than others. You mentioned uh, Clutch. I'd like to mention Divock Origi, 
who, Michael, he's a player perhaps more than any right now in the Premier League who has a reputation for providing crucial contributions uh, in big moments. And that's what we're going to touch on today. I think it's a fascinating topic. I'm looking forward to getting my teeth stuck into it with you guys. Yeah, uh, Origi is a good example. Of course, he, he didn't really score the crucial goal by Mark's uh, methodology at the weekend, but certainly played a part in it and then scored the second one. And yeah, I enjoyed this piece. I always enjoy statistical pieces that are kind of quite fun. I think some people think that when we take things too seriously, think anything to do with numbers has to be absolutely definitive and trying to prove something that it's not. Whereas this was kind of, uh, yeah, just a little bit of fun. So looking forward to getting stuck into it. Very much the way you approached it, Mark, was not here are answers, this is true and gospel. Uh, It wasn't even here are some charts to look at. You really took the reader on a journey throughout the way that you even approach this piece and I really enjoyed reading about uh, kind of seeing the cogs whirring in your own head you got that down on paper really really well that was obviously something important to you when it came to this piece yeah it was almost like a, a math GCSE you've got to show your workings <laughs> haven't you and I think it was very much that and and I'm glad that it sort of landed like Michael said that it is just a bit of fun it's filled with caveats it's filled with context that needs to be added um, but it's a good starting point and it opens up the conversation which as we would all have seen from the comments, um, certainly was the case that it was a lot to, to build off. And there's some really useful, interesting comments um, that contributed to it. A lot, which I agree with as well. There are players whose very reputations are enhanced or not by the concept of things like being clutch or on the flip side, being a, a flat track bully, uh, perhaps someone who doesn't turn up when they are most needed shall we say in in the uh, important moments in big games and we're going to try and put some meat on the bones of of that discussion uh, and in doing so present well five different metrics that mark came up with uh, in the piece and and as we talk through them you can decide which ones you think gives the best snapshot that's what we're trying to do uh, of the sorts of things that we're talking about before we get on to the graphs and the numbers the results and the players that we're talking about Michael clutch play clutch moments clutchness I'm saying clutch a lot because I think it's the sort of uh, Americanism that you might not be hugely fond of uh, just in terms of semantics but as a concept killer instinct if you'd like to call it that a genetic thing, a psychological thing, it's difficult to say and it's very hard to measure. Do you buy into its existence? Um, I'm not sure I buy into it as something that is an innate quality. I clearly, I certainly buy into it as kind of historically a player has done these things. I mean, Didier Drogba, for example, clearly came up with big goals at the biggest moments for Chelsea, but I'm always slightly sceptical about whether that is something in Drogba's nature or something that is essentially the result of a small sample size. I suppose the the thing, I mean, clutch is is slightly different and Mark makes the case that in football it's it's always quite a small sample size. I guess what we think about as a similar thing is a big game player, I would say, is pretty much the same concept. And I've always been slightly sceptical about, yeah, whether that's a real quality or whether it's just the same way that you could filter every Premier League game by day of the week and find that some players are really good on a Tuesday. Does that mean they're a great Tuesday player? I don't know. Um, so I think sometimes when you boil these things down, it's just a small sample size and a bit of randomness. I mean, I'd agree with that. I think that as we're all, as humans, we're all like filled with bias, aren't we? And it is sometimes a little bit of confirmation bias of thinking of the examples where it has been the case. But as Michael said, it is just often a, a small sample size. And it's it's more, the value of it is maybe more of the importance 
in the game rather than necessarily the, the frequency within which it occurs. So we'll always remember maybe a semi-final or a final where it happens, but that is just one game. And maybe sometimes there does have to be a, well, in, in the case of a final, there has to be a winner and a loser. So you're going to obviously remember those those examples. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's something of a um, an inflated phenomenon. So, so Michael, are you suggesting that if Didier Drogba had played football at the top level for a billion years rather than let's say 10 years, the instances of him scoring big goals in big games, as he so often did, particularly at Wembley, it seemed, would level out somewhat over time. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. And we'll never know. We will never know, (laughs) because he he didn't play for a billion years. I mean, without wanting to be too negative, I do sometimes wonder with a player like Drogba, who scored, was it 10 goals and 10 finals or something like that? He only really had two great Premier League seasons. And sometimes I want to ask these big game players why don't you play like that every week Mm. well because the clutch gene is such that you can't you physically can't because you're saving up all your energy for Wembley finals I I thought one of the really interesting parts of the piece was a, a, a quote that you cited from a writer called Peter Keating Mark about clutch being the absence of anxiety uh, the sense that rather than this being about stepping up in big moments and taking your game to another level, it's perhaps more likely that what we talk about as clutch is players not getting better necessarily, but rather avoiding getting worse and performing worse due to pressure where there has been a bit of work done on, on how people and sports people, even at the elite level, handle pressure and how it impacts their performance. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I'll give the credit to, to Jacob on that one who sort of found that that source and that part of the um, the piece. But I, I do agree when, when everyone's kind of sometimes flapping around and, and that anxiety or anything, the pressure is sort of taking over. It's just that some people just simply have a cool head. Um, and I find that all really interesting. My background is in psychology as well. So I find that interesting in terms of, yeah, the decision-making, your cognitive performance during simple just physical fatigue as well is there something in the player's physical conditioning where they're actually not they haven't they're not hampered by their cognitive performance um even when they are tired as well so those sorts of things can come into play and this is what i mean about the phenomenon of clutch it's a very simple kind of tag that we can assign but there's so many you know there's such complexity in it that we can't just sort of put it under that umbrella term but let's try anyway if you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you etc always good to get a a Rudyard Kipling and or Mike Bassett reference in the pod where possible (laughs) Um, Michael we mentioned Divock Origi when we talk about this sort of uh, thing this sort of trait if it exists who are the players that spring to mind for you either from, from the current era or previous eras um, or or perhaps now that you've seen the numbers that Mark's put out which players would have sprung to mind uh, when you didn't have the numbers in front of you yeah I guess the players that spring to mind this is probably cheating but a lot of players who were super subs I mean by definition they are called on when their side is losing or or drawing and they they need a goal on the other hand a good friend of mine had a a real bug but I don't know why he was so obsessed with this player but he was obsessed with the idea that Solomon Kalou would only score goals when his side were already three or four nil up. I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast already. Um, so I don't think the sample size goes back far enough to include Kalu, but I'd love to find some numbers. I mean, preferably numbers that prove him wrong, obviously. But uh, yeah. It sounds a little bit like, if that is true, then there was a period of time where, importantly for Chelsea, Salomon Kalu walked so that Didier Drogba could run. 
yeah, that, yeah, that is that, actually a very good point. That is a very perfect, good point. The perfect alchemy between <laughs> big game player and flat track bully. That is a good point. I hadn't considered that. And I mean, you do need, I mean, what what I'm talking about, Kalu, is a little bit of a different thing, but you do need the odd flat track bully, I think, in your side. A player who can score regularly against bottom half teams is often very useful. I mean, if Manchester City don't win the league this year, well, probably because they've got a nil-nil against a weaker side where a, a flat track bully could be quite useful. Mm, interesting. Well, well, Mark, uh, unsurprisingly, and probably why we use the word clutch is that it came from across the pond first, really, uh, and as did, I would suggest, conversations about how we measure uh, clutchness, uh, killer instinct, whatever it might be, both basketball and the NFL and baseball as well. They've all done their best to, to measure this. Um, what, what do you make of... Uh, the, the approaches that you've seen from across the pond and, and how transferable or not, of course, they are to a, a sport that is well, very different to those ones. Yeah, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it as well, because I know you're a basketball fan, I believe. Yes. But, um, again, this would be, again, credit to, to Jacob. He was, he's a, you know American sports fan as well. And they do have more in-depth ways to essentially break down uh, a player's numbers in certain moments w- within the game, whether that's sort of time-wise or situation-wise, you know, game state-wise. And in, in basketball, the the NBA have a, a stat called crunch time offensive rating, uh, which essentially looks at the the final five minutes of games where there's um, not much to decide between the the two teams in terms of points, and looking at how a player then performs within those later moments within the game. Um, and in American football as well, the the NFL has a fourth quarter passing rating. So looking at when the, the game is on the line and, and again, looking at the importance of, of actions based on the timing of the game. And they also have it more on location. So they have red zone passer rating as well. So when the ball's close to, to the end zone and I guess limiting it to those more lucrative areas of the field to, to see how a player performs then as well. So it's it's existed. I mean, this again goes to a wider point that in American sports, they are kind of a bit more advanced in in terms of the metrics and the analytics that they have, and it's something we've spoken about uh, a lot. And it's not because they're they... smarter than you, Mark. It's because their sports <laughs> lend themselves easier Correct. to this sort of uh, discussion. No, it's... exactly. <laughs> and it brings me on to that final point. Exactly, the difficulty within football is that it is such a low-scoring game, and it's what we've spoken about widely. And it's it's often quite tricky to work back from from a certain play to see how much value is added. And probably goes back to another episode that we've done in the past maybe looking at things like expected threat and possession value so quantifying how much a player has contributed towards their team scoring not necessarily actually influenced by the outcome of a goal um, maybe you could look at that based on game state or by you know the time to see okay when does a player act, add more value or less value depending on the time or the the game state as well but um, I didn't have time to do that mm-hmm. so Focus on goal. We have done a lot of episodes, haven't we, over the last few years? I'm I'm worried that one day we will run out of things to say, but not yet. But not yet. This is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Uh, we're on to part two next. And if after part one you're something of a skeptic, well, in part two is all about Mark's metrics. It's going to be electric. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Stay with us. Right, Mark Carey, it's time to show you're working. At five fantastic graphs, five fantastic measurements that you put together to best measure clutchness and to see if it exists to see what the difference is between certain players at the first one game state changing goals why and how yeah well I sort of started really broad here just to again as you say show my workings and I basically looked at all the players who had scored 30 goals or more in the last five years and just looked at what the share of that total was where they actually changed the course of the game. Mm -hmm. So changed the the game state. So going from a losing position to a drawing position or a drawing position to a winning position. Those are game state changing goals. Um, And interestingly, it was Richarlison who came out on top. 82% of his goals for for Watford uh, and Everton um, were the highest. And it was actually right on cue because I wrote that, I think, either side... Um, I did the the calculation beforehand, but wrote to either side of when Richardson grabbed that last minute equaliser against Leicester. So it kind of proved my point really nicely, just in sort of current times. But I hope you said something like, with twenty minutes to go, I've got a funny feeling Richardson might have a say here. Mm. I think he's got around an eighty percent chance of having it. No, <laughs> that would that wouldn't work. You know, I've shown my, <laughs> shown my lack of mathematical knowledge there and probability. But I, I would I would have liked I would have liked it if you'd impressed someone with that sort of knowledge. I was going to do the same actually with Benteke. Benteke coming on <laughs> against Leeds on Monday, and I was thinking. Yeah, well, I've almost given the game away now as well, that he's quite clutch in that regard. He, he adds quite a lot of value that I was going to say something very similar as well, that he's odds on here 
to uh, to get a goal of high value. That makes me realise that you have, for obvious reasons, presented the, the top 20 names, I think, or something like the top 20. Yeah. You haven't reversed it and taken a look at those who really haven't scored any game state changing. Yeah. Those are the ones who could come on and you, you turn to your mate and go like, nah, not for me. No chance. That is not yeah. for me. Um, I, I think what I found interesting about the names here was that my my first question off the back of it, you know, the, the, the top names in order are Richarlison, 82% game state changing share, as you said. Jimenez uh, of Wolves with 78%. Benteke, 77%. Wood, 75%. And then Diogo Jota, 72%. Josh King, 70%. Callum Wilson, 69%. Big six players here. Jota not included. A lot of those goals came for Wolves. Uh, kind of conspicuous by their absence here. So does the way you've sliced this one work against a top six striker? Yeah, and I think it's something which for for a couple of the other sort of metrics or graphs that I include as well, it's it's very much the case as well. I think there's a couple of things. I think it, it's fair to say that this way of looking at it is geared more towards players who are more of the focal point of the attack. So you say about Chris Wood, obviously, for, for Burnley, now Newcastle, Christian Menteke to a certain extent. I think that, yeah, they, they're more likely to have a higher share of their team's XG in general anyway. So that's obviously going to then increase the probability that they're going to actually get the goal. But as you say, they're also playing for teams who are maybe fairly low scoring anyway. So the likes of Everton, Wolves, Crystal Palace, where the games are more likely to be a bit more tightly poised. I mean, you think of Wolves this season as well. I don't know whether there's too many games where <laughs> they've, they've had either way. There's been one or two goals you know either side of them so it's an interesting point yeah I think I think you know you compare that with the likes of Liverpool or Chelsea or Manchester City where there's more likely to be bigger difference you know in those score lines I think for that reason it's more geared towards the players who have a little bit more of a focal point in their team's attack I mean the interesting thing about this first metric mark is not necessarily who is top Richarlison but how far he's top by I mean four mm. percent that's a bigger gap than anywhere down that list Again, I, I'm undecided as, as to whether this is something innate in Richarlison or whether he's just happened to score the goals, but that is quite a big margin. It does show that he is he has scored really important goals for Everton. And yeah, and even even just his demeanour as well. He's just so desperate, isn't he? Which is which is obviously a good trait. He's so desperate to score and and do well. Like he, he's I desperate to fall over at the weekend, wasn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, that that too. But I think it maybe that's something where you can look at it from a psychological perspective. He he sort of shows that he wants to be a a game state changer. If we could, uh, it's what we all grow well. up dreaming to be. It's what we, uh, interestingly with Richarlison. I think that the thing that. I, I was most interested here was looking down the list and trying to find someone who I considered to play for a, a team who over the years you would expect to have had similar ambitions. Of course, Everton are, are right down there, so to speak, at the moment. But Michael Antonio has scored one goal more than Richarlison in the time frame, um, but only 61% game state game changes to Richarlison's 82%. I, I thought for me that was an interesting discrepancy, shall we say, that wasn't necessarily answered by the sorts of things that we've just discussed that it might miss out. Yeah, and it's something which, again, I think we'll come on to in the, the next few graphics where you can have two players who score pretty much the same number of goals, but their overall value and contribution is slightly different, which is the whole point of the piece, really, to to say that you can, yeah, you can look at the number of goals if we count one goal equals one, but then adjust it based on the value and, and actually see that the you know players can tease out separate um, separate value. I think another interesting thing here is, and maybe this is obvious from, from what we've said already, but there aren't many players who you would consider kind of counter-attacking players there. 
Because I guess a lot of counter-attacking goals are scored when your side is already up, the opposition are coming on to you and you hit them on the break. But there's a lot of kind of plan B, central strikers, chuck the ball in the mix and see what happens. I mean, Giroud, Calvert-Lewin, Barnes, Callum Wilson to a certain extent, certainly Wood, Benteke, Jimenez, I would say. So there, there is a stylistic thing, I think, as well as a, um, you know, what side they play for. Interesting, because we've suggested that there might be a psychological aspect to this. A lot of those guys score with their head more frequently than other players. So maybe there's something in that, using their head literally and figuratively. Um, the, the second one we're going to talk about, Mark, goals with most value uh, over the last 10 years. This one, I absolutely loved it. Absolute class work from you. Loved the explanation, loved the methodology hats off to you I think again it kind of goes down if I'm thinking of it as a bit of a funnel we're starting really broad with those game state changing goals and getting a little bit more specific and a bit more nuanced as well and I think the issue with that that first table of the game state changing goals is that it doesn't account for a goal that takes their team into the lead or equalizes in the first few minutes versus scoring a last minute winner so the goals with the most value the the, sort of the way that I went about that was looking at how much value a player added to their team's points outcome at the time that they scored. So essentially you're adding two points if you're putting your team ahead because you're going from a, a drawing state to a winning state um, and, you know, et cetera, if you're going from zero points to, to one point if you're equalizing. Um, and importantly as well, we adjusted it for the time that was elapsed within the game. So if you score in the final couple of minutes to to put your team ahead, you've got a, a value that's closer to, to two, so closer to going from that drawing state to the winning state. Because, yeah, for that exact reason. And then less value than if you're putting your team ahead in the first five minutes. So it's worth noting that, that we calculated this for the when the player scored at the time that they scored them. Mm-hmm. In the sense that we didn't want to penalise a player for, for scoring maybe in the 89th minute. And then the opposition goes up the other end and the keeper just absolutely throws one in. That player has sort of almost done their job as the, the striker and they shouldn't be penalised for then their team you know drawing or potentially losing whatever it might be you're actually dredging up one of my genuinely one of the worst (laughs) memories of my whole life where at school in a cup knockout game I think it was a quarter final I scored a goal in extra time to put us 2-1 up and within two minutes the defenders had conspired to concede a disgraceful equaliser and we lost on pens scored my pen as well um (laughs) it should have been a, a uh, a, a literally a school defining moment for me and instead it was it was forgotten so I'm pleased with this methodology yes. I think that's why I liked it so much it, yes. it really resonated with me um, whose goals have provided by this measure the most value in the Premier League in the last decade yeah so this kind of goes back to to the point we made before in that basically Harry Kane comes out on top of the list when we're looking at the total value that his goals have contributed um, in the last 10 years as you say but despite not being the actual top goal scorer in that period so if we look back to to the actual number of goals scored in that period Sergio Aguero has scored 184 goals and Harry Kane has scored 178 goals but the value that they've added and we, the, the, almost the numbers of the, the total goal value added is almost irrelevant here. But the the noteworthy thing is that Harry Kane has actually added more value in his goals despite scoring fewer than Sergio Aguero. So Harry Kane comes out on top, um, closely followed by uh, Jamie Vardy, Sergio Aguero just, just below that, Romelu Lukaku as well. So all of the, the usual suspects are up there simply because as well, they are players who also score a lot of goals. So this is why I then come on to more of the nuances of that. But um, yeah, Harry Kane comes out on top despite not necessarily being the highest scorer. And then next up, you make a, an attempt to try and account for, as you've said, the vastly different 
number of appearances made perhaps or goals scored the difference in volume here and you introduced uh, you introduced goals with most value as a percentage just in my eyes seemingly to try and sort of level the playing field because Aguero played for a long time and scored a ton of goals yeah exactly level the playing field is the perfect way of describing it just to even it out yeah so I looked at the average value or the contribution of a goal scored and we're, we're filtering here for players who have scored 50 goals or more so already creating a healthy sample size here so certain players who might still be you know contributing a lot if we're going to if they're going to have scored less than 50 goals fewer than 50 goals in this time then unfortunately they're not in the sample size and, and one and the player, player the player who comes out on top flies is, to the top he does indeed yeah is uh is Jermaine Defoe and I think this one's interesting because obviously he was at Spurs at the start of the 2010s then Sunderland for for some time as well Bournemouth briefly but I think largely his contribution here was because for Sunderland, I think especially is when it sort of came more to the top because they were fighting relegation and he basically fought it on his own. So he scored 15 goals in the 2015-16 season and the 2016-17 season. But he was the, he was just comfortably the highest goal scorer here. So it was almost like all of the, the attack was very much channeled through him, which feeds into the point I said before. But in that 2015-16 season, the second highest uh, goal scorer for Sunderland was Fabio Barini with five. And the following season, it's Patrick Van Arnholt with three. So as much as it is, you know, it goes back to the point of being a, an important player in potentially a smaller team. Mm. That value was any time, you know, Sunderland got even a point, maybe three, um, even though they weren't doing so well those seasons, it was likely to be Jermaine Defoe. Hence why his, uh, his value is quite inflated there. And given the weighting towards goals scored later in a game, it stands to reason, I think that this would be a, a, a good one to be a super sub, a player who yeah. a large portion of your goals are scored in the last 20 minutes of games because that's the only time you play. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, As you say, the numbers are weighted more favourably to, to goals later in the game. And it is, as you say, literally their remit to, to do that. So it just shows that they are kind of doing that. But I think it feeds back to the point we said before about kind of clutch and how much these super subs are coming on as fresh you know, they, their decision-making is going to be maybe heightened because they are physically, they're not as fatigued as some of the other players as well. So it stands to reason that they're going to be, you know, they're going to have more higher value because they're less fatigued simply and their decision-making is going to be better. They're going to be sharper physically and mentally, going to get in, you know, probably more lucrative positions and score. And we've got some examples of that. Coxie, you know who really loved Mark's piece? Christian Benteke. Because he comes out of it pretty well, I would say, with respect to, to Benteke. Surprisingly well, given the, the narrative that has surrounded him and particularly his finishing and goal scoring over the last few years. And both the, the previous metric, those who provided the most value over the last decade, which was led by Kane, and then the percentage of that, which is led by Defoe, there's Christian Benteke in the top sort of six or seven names. Yeah, I mean, actually... This is almost incidental to what we're talking about, but one way he comes out of it is just looking at his raw number of goals, which is 86, which is a pretty formidable tally for a player who's seemingly been off form for a few years. But yeah, I suppose he fits a number of the boxes we've already talked about. He's a central striker who scores headers from crosses, probably against deep defences rather than on the break. He's played for a couple of sides in both Villa and Palace who don't have many other sources of goals, if we're being honest, although Zaha actually feels figures quite highly. And also he was a bit of a, a super sub as well for Liverpool. Um, so yeah, I guess there's there's a few reasons why he does come out of this very well. Well, I'm pleased to see it. I, I noticed some 
one in the comments who said something like, well, anyone saw him play for Liverpool knows that he was, he's useless. There's, there's nothing to him. And you pointed out pretty well, Michael, that just by looking at his, his goal return, it was actually wasn't too bad a season for him now. I went on his FB ref page. In his career, Benteke, that's his third best season for goals per 90 uh, of any campaign where he's played more than a 1,000 minutes. So <laughs> I'm not sure if Benteke remembers it quite as badly as some of the Liverpool fans. And maybe that's worth flagging up and we can we can help repair his damaged reputation. Yeah, I uh, I mean, it, he didn't fit into the style that Klopp wanted to play. I think that was obvious, but he pretty much did his job a lot of the time when he was on the on the pitch. I'm always a bit unsure of whether you should get involved in the comments section of another writer's article. Thank you. No, I but, appreciate uh, it. Mark can yeah. fight his own battles, Michael. He doesn't like, need <laughs> doesn't need his big brother Michael coming wading in with haymakers. I mean, I, I, I was fighting it on behalf of Benteke rather than Mark. <laughs> I mean, ben, Benteke definitely doesn't need my help in a fight. I can assure you of that. But yeah, I did get slightly annoyed by that. I quite like Benteke. You know, he was kind of Divock Origi before Divock Origi arrived, right? Do you reckon he's ever sat down with Divock on Belgian international duty and gone, what have, what's in your brain that isn't in mine? What's this clutch? <laughs> C'est quoi le clutch gene or something like that? Let's move. Yeah. Let's... Well, I mean, Origi sometimes, when he has been fielded from the start, which isn't that often, he's often played from the left, hasn't he? Or because Rogers wanted Firmino as a false nine. I can't imagine Benteke playing from the left so maybe that's one thing they have yeah there is a clear difference I've definitely referenced this before but ever since I saw Lukaku play right wing and ruin Nacho Monreal's life by being a back post target man genuinely playing from wide I've always thought we should see more wide target men but it doesn't seem to have caught on hugely Uh, I think probably because strikers can play through the middle and they can still peel off to the back post and get above fullbacks to head home so maybe that's why um let's move on to to the fourth option uh, mark this this is more about points because at the end of the day football's about wins and points correct correct and it's to be honest this is largely an extension of what we're speaking about above but it's actually looking at it you know quantifying it based on the final outcome uh, as you say rather than before where it was at the time that they scored mm-hmm. them where it favored your um, school goal essentially there Ali but um, I yeah one. I mean what I did as well was weight it similarly to when the goal was scored as well mm-hmm. which maybe I should have also included the just sheer raw points that a player has, has scored as well so if a player for example puts their team 1-0 up in the, the fifth minute and they go on to to win that game 1-0 I have given them ever so slightly less credit than if they were to have scored that same goal in the 85th minute, even though they have earned their team three points there or two mm. points, you know, going from a, a drawing state to a winning state. So, you know, it's it's just showing my calculation, showing my, my workings again. But once again, Harry Kane way out in, in front in that regard. I think there's some interesting ones on, on this one. So Penteke right up there again, uh, which is interesting. Loves it. Um, I think Robin Van Persie as well. You know, this this is right from the 2010-11 season all the way through to the to the present day, essentially. And he's still right up there. He's fourth on the list. Um, I was trying to think. I, I know that there's the almost the infamous season where, well, famous season that you know when he first joined Manchester United, where the narrative I think was that he essentially won the won them the league on his own, didn't he? But I think the season before that for Arsenal wasn't he top goal scorer? He was on absolute, you know, he was on fire. So I think that he actually probably contributed more to you know to his team's value in that Arsenal final season 
then maybe that Manchester United season when he actually won the league. Interesting. Uh, and last but not least, again, you've just you've just tightened that one up a little bit further just to try and account for the average value of a goal rather than the, the total. Yeah, exactly. So looking at yeah that, that average value and interestingly, Christian Eriksen comes out on, on top. And I think that's when I look through it on a sort of goal by goal basis, he scored his, his fair share of, of winning goals. Um, for Spurs, it probably wouldn't have included Brentford goals there during that time. So ten of his fifty-one goals for Spurs have been winners, which I thought was actually quite a you know a really high proportion. So nearly twenty percent of his goals essentially have have got them you know two extra points, ultimately three points. But again, going from that drawing state to the winning state, you know he's popped up with some really important goals there. Um, Danny Welbeck is is right up there as well, and obviously frequently coming on as a substitute, going historically back to Manchester United. Obviously, he played Arsenal, Watford and and Brighton in that time. And I also then looked at FB ref as well, and I was surprised to see that Welbeck's never scored more than nine goals in a single Premier League season, which maybe it's because of, obviously, you know, injury is goals per 90, and maybe XG per 90 is still favourable, maybe. But on raw number, nine goals is his highest in a single Premier League season, which I thought was interesting. Um, but he's probably in more of a mould, especially recently, is maybe a bit more of a super sub, um, like the likes of Javier, Javier Hernandez, Andy Carroll. They're right up there as well in terms of the average value of a goal, more in that super sub mould. And, and I think, Michael, the very fact of the names in second, third, fourth being Chicharito, Welbeck, Carroll, we got Benteke again in sixth, we got Defoe in seventh, these guys that we spoke about of being largely substitutes or at least options off the bench that makes me more impressed about Christian Eriksen who as far as I remember was almost always a starter for Tottenham Hotspur and I'm looking at his FB ref page now we've got five seasons in a row where he started 30 games or more for them in, in the Premier League which again he's already at the top but it almost multiplies him even higher in my eyes. Yeah definitely I, I remember him scoring a few late winners for, for Tottenham he, he had a habit of scoring goals from almost like the edge of the day 20 yards not necessarily spectacular but just kind of very efficient almost quite clinical finishes from range and yeah certainly efficient in terms of getting points as well so yeah I agree I mean to repeat what I said earlier almost all these graphs there's one player who's quite far clear of the chasing pack you know it's not just a load of players on roughly the similar similar numbers and I think that's what makes this article quite interesting you can really see that certain players are scoring very important goals I, I still have a question about which players are not scoring important goals I don't know whether you've got any additional information Mark but so uh, yeah certainly Kane and Ericsson and Defoe uh, maybe after yeah, this Mark you could tweet out who is the reverse Christian Benteke who's who's the player whose reputation for goal scoring uh, and, and clutch moments is is wrong not backed up yeah. by the for the reality or maybe yeah maybe I can you... go away to be honest I can go away and do that to be honest but I think that's it's an interesting point in terms of who is more of the I think in American sports it is more of the choker isn't it and I, I was speaking about it in terms of again discussing how we'd approach it and we were going to look at it more in terms of the a player's expected goals and compare that with their goals scored in those certain moments of the game to see who's underperforming who's getting into those positions maybe and then as you say choking is probably more that they if they if they weren't getting in the positions at all, then they're almost not even choking. They're just hiding. But if they're getting into to those positions to score and then maybe choking, underperforming their expected goals. Well, things like snatching moments. at chances. These are the sorts of phrases that maybe fall into what we spoke about earlier um, that was quoted in the piece about anxiety and your ability to override that in big moments. And, and 
and take the deep breath and finish as you would after 10 minutes or in training just as much um, in in the 90th minute when, when things are tight. Um, just before we let you go, we've worked you hard, but this was, as discussed, a very interesting comment section, not just because you had Michael fighting battles for Christian Venteke in there. Um, I wanted to, to raise a couple of, of points and thoughts and questions raised in that comment section, if that's all right with you. Yes, yeah, this feels like, so when I did my PhD, I had to do a viva. So it was a, a two hour oral exam where I had to defend my thesis. And this feels probably harder than that at the moment of just making sure that I'm covering it all. So hit me. Well, it's funny you say that, Mark, because if Paul from the athletic comment section had been judging your PhD, you simply would not have one. Uh, Paul says, looks like somebody's trying to find more useless stats. Yeah, I mean, what can I say? Does that make you question your whole existence? I get paid to do something that I absolutely love, um, and that's to look at football data. And football is just fun to talk about. So um, this whole thing was it was a bit of fun as well. So I just like to say to Paul, thank you for reading. I love that, and it instantly brought to mind. I remember a few years ago in the EFL, a player massively, massively turned the fans against him by after a poor performance in which he was criticised, he tweeted something like, some days you win, some days you lose, both days I get paid. Which (laughs) (laughs) you started your answer with, I get paid, dot, dot, dot. No, no, I mean, I'm very lucky is what I mean. Very lucky to get paid. Not that I don't obviously respect all the comments. I'm only messing. Well, Robert M said, only halfway through the article, but I'm thinking you've had great fun with a bunch of football data and a couple of F-off spreadsheets. Can you confirm? Absolutely can confirm, yeah. When I tell my friends sometimes that I've looked at, you know, every goal since 2010... Um, they do laugh at me just because I just love it on such a wide scale. <laughs> Sai Fang makes two interesting points, I think. Uh, the first one is an equalising goal doesn't contribute to only one point that you get from a draw because, of course, it can set the stage to a potential winning goal as well. Uh, also made the point that a goal when your team is behind, let's say 2-1 down, a uh, 2-0 down, the goal that makes it 2-1, also important and psychologically challenging in some way. So uh, not making it easy for you, but fair points to raise. Yeah, no, I, to be honest, I do agree with it. As I say, I agree with a lot of the, the comments section as well. I think they a lot of them have really valid points. Mm. And yeah, it shouldn't maybe be as, as binary as a, an equalising goal or a winning goal and then giving, you know, weighting my points accordingly. I think that, you know, one thing I, I would have done, would have liked to have done was look at the, the goal that sort of, how the goal changed the win probability. Um, I think one of the comments included that as well, that there's a stat called win probability added in baseball so that every goal, even if it is scoring, you know, your team's 4-0 down and you score the first one, that could, you know, I think with the famous example, Arsenal and Newcastle, they came down, they came back to to win four, to draw 4-4, I should say, that those goals should still get, you know, some value because ultimately it did change the, the course of the game. So I should maybe looked at it a little bit like that, that, no matter what the scoreline was, there's still value in each goal, mm. um, just some more than others, rather than it simply being the goals that put the team ahead or to, to equalise. So, completely agree. Similarly to that, Louis, uh, sorry, Lewis, um, talking about goals that extend the lead, goals that maybe, to, to borrow another term from our friends across the pod, might ice ice the game, ice the victory from 2-1 to 3-1, shall we say. Uh, Xhaka's goal against United over the weekend made it 3-1, so not a game-states-changing goal, 
But Arsenal were under massive pressure and that goal went a huge way to ensuring the victory. Yeah, I, again, I, I agree. I was speaking about this actually with um, with our Arsenal writer, Art, about this. We use the example of it being 1-0 up for, for long periods and then if you get it to 2-0, you do just you know ease away then in the final few minutes. But that goal feels like a, a bigger goal than if you go 2-0 up in yeah, the first 10 minutes, for example. So again... Right, um, probably that win probability added would be valuable there to then, you know, really extending that probability that you are going to win. So maybe that should have been the answer to all of it. Uh, and one from me, uh, I'm wary that me trying to tell you how to make your excellent work even better is, is kind of like trying to sprinkle some pepper onto uh, the meal of a Michelin char, uh, star chef and trying to claim that you've really added some value. But um, in the piece, it was mentioned uh, a specific goal was mentioned, and that was Bruno Fernandez's 100th minute penalty against uh, Brighton. I think that one was last season, wasn't it? And I thought, and it's something that is is kind of best practice, I believe, in your world, was actually might it give us a fairer picture if we removed penalties from this discussion? Because someone in that instance, Fernandez's numbers here are hugely boosted by a 100th minute penalty. But I'm I'm guessing he might not have been marked down if he had missed that penalty, which would be considered the reverse of of clutch. Uh, that would be more to do with that horrific phrase, bottling it. Yeah, no, I, again, I completely agree. And another point that that is a valid one. Um, that it's something I I did again discuss and was going to normally normally we do as you say remove penalties from the sample as it does skew it. But I think given that we are talking about a limited sample size. I included it for a broader idea here when if I was going to maybe drill down on it further for, for future pieces, I, I think I would um, remove it. I think you're right about the sort of the bottling it aspect and that's where maybe that XG differencing, even mm. including penalties or not, or just looking at it as two separate things in open play and with penalties, looking to see what the expected goals was for a certain player over a certain period of time at certain moments and then see just how much they over or underperform within those moments and then we could really start to tease out who is maybe the more of the clutch player who's overperforming and who's maybe the the bottler or the choker and who's underperforming and we've just found the subject of your next phd (laughs) because it does feel like with all of those things i've brought up from the comment section you might need that amount of time (laughs) to actually write this not the presumably few days that you had to crank this one out um fabulous fabulous piece uh, mark and uh, michael i think an interesting discussion and and so nice as i always say that we have the ability on this podcast to pull at threads like this and sometimes not end up with definitive answers and we have got quite a long leash on this pod with what we can talk about and it's it's quite pleasant isn't it yeah it was good really enjoyed the article and yeah i i appreciate not just the conclusions but the way it was explained and like you say the thought processes i thought it was a really interesting one so yeah enjoyed reading it and enjoyed discussing it well who knows what we will tackle next week we have got a few ideas in the pipeline between now and the end of the season some of them rely on certain fixtures falling our way certain Uh, titles perhaps falling our way Uh, stay tuned for that make sure you subscribe to the podcast and then uh, you'll get every episode as as soon as it drops on whichever podcast platform you prefer to lose uh, to lose 
to use. Let's fit, let's put this one behind us. Um, make sure you're signing up to the Athletic as well. I got two game state game changes. Michael and Mark writing good things daily on that site, but so many other writers as well. Some of them purely consistent. Some of them clutch, bringing big articles out at, at big times. We've got we've got a bit of Benteke. We've got a bit of Origi. We've got a bit of everything on there, and I'll let you decide who is who. Uh, head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics. You'll get. Uh, a very, very, very generous discount. You'll pay just a pound a month for the first six months of your annual subscription. So subscribe, sign up. You know the drill. We'll talk again next week on the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. The Athletic.